Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take Fountain, a podcast of passionate people working on their dreams. Compelling stories from Hollywood. Your host, Ella James. My guest today on Take Fountain is John Davis. We, and also two dogs, Archie and Atticus, who may periodically woof into, uh, into our environment. Um, so this podcast talks so much about that notion of coming to Hollywood and living the dream and being a star and how do you do it? And, but of course, life is about taking unexpected turns. John Davis came to Los Angeles to be an actor and life took an unexpected turn. John Davis, welcome. Thank you very much, Ella. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Let's start at when you thought, I'm going to be an actor. Well, I think I was a child when I thought I, I'm going to be an actor. You know what I mean? I was always into what, going to see local theater, community theater, and I would see these people on stage and say, I want to do that. And my first trip, I came to L.A. twice. My first trip was after high school. I was 17 years old and I had an interview with an agent. Okay. How I got it, I don't remember. But I graduated and like packed my Volkswagen bug and came to LA. From where? For, because I had one interview. But from where? Oh, from Naples, Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a long way. And, uh, you know, I drove across the country with my friend Rocky Woods. He had a mother in Reno, so we dropped. I dropped him off in Reno, and then uh, came to L.A. We had friends out here, family friends, so I knew I had a place to stay, and uh, I had my interview with this agent. And here I am, the 17-year-old, long-haired kid. You know, this blonde surfer look boy-looking thing, and. Uh, you know, I met with the agent and he was this old guy and he said, you know what? Everyone I know in this business is either dead or retired. He goes, uh, you don't even have perfect teeth. I couldn't even get you a uh, toothpaste commercial. And I was sitting there just totally, def you know, deflated. Oh my like, God. And he said, look, if you stay here, kid, you're going to work at Denny's for 10 years waiting tables. He says, why don't you go back home, go to school, learn something. And he said, the next time you come out, you'll be working. You'll have a job. And I did. The next time I flew into Los Angeles, I flew the second time, I, was, I had a job. And I was coming out here to conduct an interview with someone else. Okay. What did you do at school? I studied mass communications because the school that I went to didn't have, uh, you know, kind of uh, theatrical arts stuff. So I studied mass comm, which is, you know, television and radio. And I figured they're going to need performers to do their productions. Okay. And so that's why I, uh, I studied that. And then my instructor was like, John, you have skills here. Like, you know, you're, you're a good producer. You're a good writer. He goes, let's hone those skills. He said, because even if you want to act 
or you know be a television host or whatever those skills will make you more valuable and so i learned how to uh you know produce shows and and you know write treatments and kind of you know put together you know ideas yeah. for programming so it's the i'm thinking it's a, it's the early 80s at this stage uh, it was the 70s, <laughs> late 70s, oh, very late 70s, Ella. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, like, come on, you could have just gone along with me. Because what I'm, what I'm thinking, like, you know, nowadays everything's so digital. But did you go, did you get the headshots? Did you do the classes? Did you, did you have a demo reel? Did you get cast in anything? Were you on IMDb? Were you, you know. There was no IMDb. Right? But That's yeah. My first trip, no. I mean, I probably had some headshots, but that's it. I no, but when you came back with your mass communications degree, right. were you still thinking then, um, I'm going to do this because this will give me a living, but I'm still going to do the acting thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a reel at that point. You know what I mean? I had had a reel of things that I had performed in, as well as produced. Mm -hmm. So I could go out and pitch both both sides of it. And it's funny because every treatment I had was always a vehicle for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, I always saw myself as the talent in the piece. Oh, you were born to be in Hollywood, Dad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, just for, for the benefit of our listeners, can you explain the difference between um, a, a producer in the movies as opposed to the type of producing you're talking about, television producing? Right. I was a television producer. So, uh, you know, essentially, you would either join a show already in progress, you know, and uh, the first show that I ever worked on, I don't even know if your listeners will remember it. It was called PM Magazine or evening magazine in some of the major cities and it was a lifestyle show we used to find interesting people in our community and tell their stories and then we would cycle that to the national reel and if you got picked up on the national reel your story would broad be broadcast on all the other pm magazines because mm -hmm. they were market to market kind of things uh, and I was the host of the show, uh, the co-host. There was a woman. There was always a guy and a girl. And uh, I really cut my teeth as far as a host on that show. But I also was producing in the background, coming up with the finding the idea, figuring out how am I going to tell this story, going out with the crew, shooting the story, conducting the interview, coming back, writing the script from the material that we had shot, and then go and give it to an editor and then produce it in the edit suite. Okay. So it's, you know, you're taking it from concept to completion. Okay. So, so you've, um, you've left school, you've come across in your VW bug, I you've, went back you've home. Met the old, you met the old guy who said, you've got bad teeth, you don't stand a chance. They weren't bad, but no, not oh, toothpaste okay. commercial perfect. Gotcha. <laughs> um, so you've gone back home, you've studied MassCom, you've come back to L.A. No, I, I studied MassCom. Then I got a job at a local television station in, in the market where I lived, in Fort Myers, Florida. Okay, and my first job was essentially doing shipping and receiving 
you know, we would get tapes in. We had to make sure that they were in on time. We had to ship them back out. Okay. Then I was running camera for the evening news. By the end of the summer, when it was time to, okay, am I going to go back to school or not? I was already directing two daily shows and you know i was on my way so i kind of just said well i'm gonna i'm gonna stay with this and then that led to the pm magazine which was in that market right and then i took PM, went from that pm magazine to a pm magazine in chattanooga tennessee because your market climbing at that point okay <clears throat> you know you're going i think we're familiar with that through probably the greatest um, a person who, who has made that so clear to me. Oprah Winfrey. Absolutely. Yeah. You're reading my mind. So that kind of, that market, that market jumping. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so at what point did you say, wow, I'm not going to be an actor? I don't think I ever said that. Because that was always my goal. Okay. Even while I was doing other things and I was taking the paycheck, you know, and I'm going, okay, this is keeping me alive. This is, you know, I'm, I'm making, at times, really good money, you know, when you're young. Which, like most of us now, you think, oh, didn't I do something different with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> the human experience. But in my mind, in the back of my mind, acting was always there. Yeah. You know, and I always tried to you know, see if I could do community theater or something just to keep my chops up. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, continuing the, the, the market climb, I went to Nashville and worked for the Nashville Network. And we did uh, like an entertainment show, but it was basically on country music stars. Okay. Uh, and that's why we're sitting in John's office at the moment and there's a picture of you and Dolly Parton on the wall. Yes, yeah, a number of stars. I loved, I loved, Nashville. I love the people in Nashville. I wasn't crazy about the network bigwigs, you know, but I love the people that I met because many of them I met when they were very young, you know, when they were just starting out. Like we were all, both starting out together. Okay. And not Dolly, obviously. Dolly was well established. But uh, that was really interesting because there you got to know these people. You would have them to your house. You'd have a barbecue or they'd say, hey, come to, you know, our house. We're going to do this big, you know, guitar pull. And you got to do that to where once I got to Hollywood, there was more of a separation of church and state. Okay. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? There's more of a, you know, we do the interview on the red carpet or in the sit down interview. Yeah. But you didn't befriend them as much. Let's go back to Nashville momentarily because okay. I've got a question for you. Did you have that ability to sniff out and go, this one's going to make it? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. Tell me about, about somebody that you thought that about. Uh, oh, boy. You know, Randy Travis. I don't know if you know who Randy Travis is. I know Randy the name, Travis. yes. He uh, was a bartender, <coughs> a busboy, a busboy first in this bar that served food. And then he was like, I think he tended bar. And the manager of the place was his girlfriend. She was much older than him. But she saw that this kid had the skills. You know, he had a beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was just the nicest guy. And this was probably 85, something like that. 
And I met him, I probably did one of his earliest interviews. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, after hearing him sing, this guy, he's got the goods. You know, he's, yes. he's a nice enough guy that, you know, he's not going to turn people off. He didn't have that kind of kick kick-ass country singing he yeah. was he sang very sensitive very beautiful songs and you know and he had a voice this is take fountain with ella james there was another one that was interesting i interviewed shania twain the day she arrived in nashville from canada you're kidding because me. her her publicist was a friend of mine and said john look I've got this girl coming in from Canada, and she's incredible. Uh, would you? And you do said a that don't impress me <laughs> much. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know, and as a favor, I said, sure, I'll interview her. So we set up on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. She says, I can get us into the Opry to do the setting, and I said, okay, let's do it. And she flew in. They like whisked her to her hotel room, changed her up and said, I have an interview for you. And we did that interview that day. Wow. Yeah. Did you, are there those that you, you had contact with at that early stage and then several years later? Yes. Dwight Yoakam is one, uh, you know, that I interviewed early on. And Dwight liked me because, you know, Dwight's a serious artist. He's not just a sanger, as they say, you know. He is an artist, and he loved that I knew his music inside and out, right. you know. And we just, my husband and I just ran into him, what, I guess a year ago at uh, Greenblatt's on Sunset Boulevard. Right. And he walked by, and there... I told Dwight in one of these interviews on one of his earlier albums, I said, I've got to tell you something, Dwight. You have, a great, you have a bunch of singles on this album, but the song I love the most is Johnson's Love. And it was never going to be a single. You knew it just from listening to it. It's like, this is never going to be a single, but this is a great song. And he went, oh, that is my favorite song on the album. So... He's walking by with his girlfriend, our table at Greenblatt's, and I start going, hey, hey, Maureen. You know, because that's one of the lines Hi. in Johnson's Love. And yeah. he stopped and looked at me and went, oh, my God, I can't believe that. That's amazing. And we just, like, How many years are we talking here? Well, from, uh, I mean, we've crossed paths over the years. Okay. But from that interview to here is like, what, 30 years? Yeah, yeah. You know, but Dwight and I have crossed paths over, you know, I've interviewed him, you know, pretty much all along. Yes, yes. So. So, from Nashville, mm -hmm. you moved to L.A. I moved to New York. Oh, okay. Yes. And see, I had done a, uh, a piece on Tammy Wynette's yard sale. Okay? Tammy Wynette, the first lady of country music, had a damn yard sale. And I told our producers, I said, this is a hoot. We, you got to let me cover this because this is going to be good. Now, so before I make the joke, Tammy was stand by your man, wasn't yes. she? Okay, yes. so stand by your gnome. Right, 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 stand by. <laughs> but what's funny is in the yard sale, 
she had stuff. You know, she was married to George Jones. And they were like the queen, king and queen of country music at the time. Okay. But she had stuff that he had given her that, had, that was inscribed, you know, to the love of my life, love, uh-huh. love, you know, George. And she had it out on the sale. And I was like, and I, so I had a thing where I took, she took, showed me around. And I had already previewed the yard sale. So I said, Tammy, what's this? Uh-huh. You know, she's like, oh, well, George gave me that and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, and you're selling it to the public? And she goes, well, I don't need it anymore. <laughs> she goes, I've moved on. Oh, wow. But anyway, I put that on a reel. Yeah. And then the next time I went to L.A., I worked in a meeting with uh, Fox because they were casting for some show as a looking for hosts. And I gave them my reel. And they said, uh, you know, okay, you know, you'll hear from us, blah, blah, blah. You know how it goes. Crickets. I didn't hear anything. Two years later, out of the blue, I'm in Nashville. I get a call from Fox. Hi, this is Fox. We're launching a new network out of New York called FX. Uh, We have a copy of your tape. And they said, this is the John Davis that did the Tammy Wynette yard sale, right? And I went, yeah. <laughs> and they went, well, we would love to fly you up here for, an, for an, you know, an interview and an audition. And I said, this was like Tuesday. I said, that's great. I'll come up. When do you want me to come up? And she went, well, how about Thursday? We'll have your tickets to you tomorrow, you know, yeah. waiting for you at the airport. And from that, I came up. And uh, got the job, and we launched FX Network, and it was much different than it is now. It was live television. It was all out of this fabulous set that was a New York apartment. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was great, because to me, it was my way of getting into the mainstream. Right. And out of country music, because I felt pigeonholed for a while there. You must have been pinching yourself. Oh, I was. I was. I was really excited. Concrete jungle where dreams are oh, made. Oh, yeah. Man, that. I am going to New York City. <laughs> and it was great. And I was there for five years. And they eventually shut the New York studio down, which is why I eventually moved to L.A. Because I was looking for work. And I did entertainment and lifestyle stuff. And all my friends in New York are going... You need to go to L.A., man. This is a this is a news town. Mm. You know, if you're a news reporter, you know, a straight news reporter, this is the place to be. But you need to go to to L.A. Did you ever did you ever have a a mental mentor, somebody who you thought that's who I want to be? Yeah, that's what I want to do. That's the job I want. Charles Kuralt. Okay. with CBS on the road with Charles Kuralt. I loved that show. And I loved him, like his just his presence and his writing. And I prefer doing pieces on everyday people that are interesting than celebrities. Any day. Ordinary people doing extraordinary Ordinary, things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we were doing at FX. I was going live from people's living rooms all over the country. And they were showing me their collection of you know you know their superman collection their princess diana collection their 
You know, we went to a gold mine in uh, South Dakota and <clears throat> we were going to show the people, hey, have you ever been to a gold mine? Well, here's what it looks like. And they had the, the uh, what, whatever the room is where they melt the gold and make the bars. And uh, so we're, you know, kind of getting this tour together and we're we're this is all going live you know obviously right now i'm not on the air but i'm going live in like say five minutes and i'm standing there and we're waiting outside this door where you go in for the to see the gold bars and there's security everywhere for obvious reasons and i'm talking to this guard standing at the door and i'm like oh it must be interesting in there huh you know and he went, I don't know, I've never been in. And I said, what? I said, how long have you worked here? He went, about 23 years. I said, what have you done for 23 years? He said, stood here and guarded this door. I said, you have never been on the other side of that door? And he went, no, I don't have clearance. And I went to the manager and said, you've got to let me take this guy in this room. This is the story. I said, I can... We can do a tour, but this is going to be memorable. Excuse me. So, we, so he said, okay. I mean, there were enough guards around. This guy wasn't going to pocket gold bars and start running out. And so that was our piece. Let's give this guy who's been standing on the other side of this door for 23 years the inside tour. And it was fascinating. And it was, you know, this real reaction from him, like, oh, my God. And there was $17 million worth of gold in that room. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. So I always try to find stuff like that. So what's, what's funny about this? I mean, you and I have known each other for a, for a long time now. But, you know, I started my career wanting to tell other people's stories. Um, and then wanting to tell my story, and that's not quite right. It was that notion of what you said, seeing the reaction on other people's faces mm -hmm. and the reality of that, that was the beginning of my career. Yours was acting and then to that, and mine was other people's reality, and then the writer's reality, moving to that position as an actor, where it's whatever the writer writes on the page, you're gonna bring that to life. That ostensibly it's not all about you, which is funny from an actor, but do you know what I mean? Yes. Okay, so your friends are saying, you've got to be in L.A., man. How did that happen? Well, uh, I came to L.A., you know, from New York. I left my apartment in New York. I kept it just in case I was going <laughs> I back. I was going to say, like, you left your apartment. <laughs> no, no, no. I kept my apartment in New York, and I thought, let me go out to L.A. and see what's happening out here. And I had friends out here, so I stayed with some friends. And I was, uh, you know, trying to, to either get a project produced that I had in my, you know, my pile of, of uh, treatments. Yeah. Or find an existing show where I could, you know, do my on-camera thing. And did you have a contact base here? <clears throat> Or referrals from yeah, New York? Yeah, I, I knew some people out okay. here. I knew okay. some people out here. And, uh, and I also thought, okay, I'm going to do the acting thing. Because now I have time. 
And so I got a, an acting coach, Catelyn Adams, who is incredible. Uh, and I thought, okay, what I need to do is find a job to pay the bills and then I can do the acting thing, you know, and go to auditions and see if that's going to happen. A friend of mine was a supervising producer at NBC for Access Hollywood. And so, and I've known him for, I knew him for 20 years or something. And he said, look, we're not looking for talent, but we're always looking for good producers and you're a good producer. So why don't you do this? And then you can also pursue your acting thing. And uh, I said, okay, that's great. Cause I was down to, you know, I had spent most of my savings, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was living in New York for close to a year, not making money, which is very expensive. Yes. So I was living on my savings. Uh, and so this was moving into a producing role that would have no presenting attached? Right. But interviewing, yes, but not on camera hosting. Okay. But I did a lot of interviews, you know. Before we move on, because I've seen on your reel, John D. TV, which is, if you look that up on YouTube, interviews with Jennifer Aniston, for example. So I want to get to that in a moment. But first of all, was that 20-year-old friendship with the, the guy at NBC who said, Access Hollywood, come and produce this show. We're always looking for great producers. Did you see that at the time as the fork in the road? Yes. I don't know about the time. I I saw that I that it was a steady income. Okay. okay. Looking back, I realized it was a fork in the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I could have taken the left and gone into straight acting and just held my ground until and you finally know, got that job that at Denny's. Happened. Or yeah, right. <laughs> or to, you know, go right and, you know, do the producing thing. Because one thing in L.A., once you're viewed as one thing, they don't change their mind. They saw me as a producer. So in their mind, he's an, you know, he's an actor. I thought he was a producer. You know, and usually when you see actors who produce, they're actors first and they get some you know, they get some success behind them and then they produce and direct as opposed to producers who go on to become stars, actors, you one know, the, working actors. One of the biggest things I think the digital age has given us over the last 10 years is that there are no more labels. Uh, I'd like to think that. Well, I'm just, I'm seeing... I really had to wrap my head around this because you and I are, you know, the same age, although I'm 10 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> no, darling, you no. just look 10 years younger. Thank you, darling. <laughs> no, but I really had to wrap my head around this because I, I had, oh, this is awful. This is judgy bitchiella. But I had a real problem with <laughs> slashies. I had a problem with people whose business card had 53 different titles on it. They were, a, uh, they were a journalist slash presenter slash, um, oh God, what did I see? You know, life coach slash Arbon sales. Slash, I don't know. It was just like, it was everything. It was all of these things. And I, I came from an era where if you did one thing and you did it well. Mm -hmm. 
And I really had to take off that fat suit and just be naked for a while and realize that if I was saying that about other people, I was also cutting off my own ability to do whatever it was that I could do. And as you know, so a news presenter, news reader, journalist, talkback host, magazine writer, television presenter, did I say that? Actor, voice actor, corporate speaker, and comedian. Hmm. You would have had to have a big business card. It was a very, it was a poster. <laughs> Actually, but that it was, was it just was, in your house. It was, it was skywriting, really. Um, but no, I, I mean, because I also, uh, I, I think, um, and I, I'm eager to talk to you about this. In Australia, there's this thing about being up yourself mm -hmm. um, or having tickets on yourself, being overconfident, trying to do too much. Whereas in America, it's like more, more. Show us more, Ella. What else do you do? What else do you do? You know, what are you really good at? And, um, and in Australia, I never knew that. I never knew what that pointy end of me was. And now I think LA has given, has given me that. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm gonna say it out loud. I'm still not there yet. Right. Um, what is the pointy end? The, what it really is. No, but what do you think the is the, is the pointy end? I just said I wasn't gonna say that out loud. Okay. You know, God, Never mind. on the spot when an interviewer interviews an interviewer and the interviewer interviews back. You know, I get paid for being me. And you do it very well. Oh, thank you. You really do. Thank you so much. I think at the end of the day, that's how it's always, that's how it's going to pan out. And that ties in with what I was told for years by people far older and wiser than me that I didn't listen to, who said, you are enough, you are unique, people want that uniqueness. Did you have somebody in your court who was behind you? Early on, yeah, my first boss in television who actually the way I got my first job and I don't I'm not going to rehash the whole thing but he came to our to our school and we showed him some different productions and then he and I went out to smoke you know during the break and I was and we we're talking and, and he goes hey I like that thing that you did you know, and I said, oh, thank you, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking and he said, look, when you get out for the summer, call me. He goes, uh, you know, if I have something, I'd be glad to, hi you know, to mm. hire you. But he believed in you. Yes, and he, he believed you. in me for years, long after I left his employ. Okay. You know, he was always my, the guy that encouraged me. So, uh, so I have this belief with actors that the reason we want managers as well as agents, is that we want someone to see us and mold the heck out of that Play-Doh to make it something, right? Because it's too hard doing it yourself. It's not because you're lazy, maybe it is a little bit, but, but one of the things that strikes me is that the older I have got, the less likely it is that there's gonna be somebody there like that. Mm -hmm. Because you're, the mentors age out and leave the business, which means that you're relying on your peers, your cohort to help you, and they're too busy helping themselves. Mm -hmm. Or you're looking, the next stage is, you're looking at somebody vastly younger than you who sees your potential. Have you felt that? Yeah, a little bit. 
a little bit. You know, one thing what you're saying about molding, taking this Play-Doh and molding it, I've never had a manager, but I have had agents. And I find that agents are not very good molders. Oh, no, but I mean, they're not meant to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, they, let's they just put you. it out there. and yeah. That's right. Um, there's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You fit D, so we're going to hook you up. That's right, what they do. Right, right, Yeah, right. I think that's what I mean. I think we all kind of need, and I think in any profession, gosh, it would be nice to have a manager. I know. I would love to. And I don't mean by that somebody in control or telling you what to do, but somebody with whom you could be yourself and explore that. Mm -hmm. You know, I met a producer last night. I did stand up at the Sycamore Tavern and I met a producer who's interested in, in working with me. And I can't tell you how good it felt to even have that 30 second conversation of hearing her say, mm -hmm. and I see this, 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 and this. And me thinking a combination of, I think I'm going to pass out. And um, that sounds like hard work. <laughs> and where am I going to fit it all in? And oh my gosh, you see that. I've seen a kernel of that myself, mm -hmm. which is great. Okay. So let's move forward. But let me interrupt on that subject, if you yes. don't mind. Yes. I think what's good about that is you have someone else looking at you from the outside mm. saying, I see you doing this and this and this because they're observing you to where we're inside our head too much. You know, we get stuck. Oh, you, you get stuck yeah. on things like I want to do this. And it's like, if I can't do this, then, mm. you know, and other people can look at you objectively and say, what about this? Because I see that you have skills here mm. and you can go, wow, I never really gave that much thought because I was so busy thinking about what I wanted. You've hit the nail on the head. That is, that is it, right? And so many times that can be at odds with how we see ourselves, mm -hmm. right? That's a, that's a, just, um, just going to earmark that point uh, in the interview because I think that's one that people are going to be scrolling back to. Um, that's a fridge magnet, John, and I urge you to make one now. <laughs> and get it on Etsy to make some bucks. Wait, let me write this down. I want to put it <laughs> on my I business say? card. <laughs> and fridge maker. <laughs> That's it. Fridge magnet maker and meme creator. Um, so you find yourself in LA mm -hmm. and you're interviewing Jennifer Aniston and run through a list of names for me. Oh God, name them. Uh, Steven Spielberg, Jennifer Aniston, Robin Williams. Julia Roberts, Brad Pitt, Tom Hanks, uh, Tom Cruise, uh, 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 Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts. Uh, so you're going. You name them so all. You're I doing mean, this, <clears throat> and you're still in the back of your mind. I want to be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> and Is that you're wrong? Still, no, no, I'm not. It's I'm not judging. Have yeah. I got my judging T-shirt on? No. Um, but I also see reality happening, okay. too. Are you doing in a community theatre? No. 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 Are you going to the, to the theatre and the movies and sitting there and thinking, I could do that? Or Oh, yeah. Okay. Many times I think that. But, you know, there's also realities that set in. And as you 
get a little longer in the tooth, you realize, look, if you haven't made it by a certain point, the chances are really hard and slim. But that doesn't mean that you won't. You know, because I had an executive producer at Fox who said, John, you're going to be better as you get older. He goes, you're going to age really well. And he goes, I think your best work is going to be later in your life. Yes. You know, and I was like, and I try to remember that. I try to remember that when I think I'm too old for this. I'm too this. I'm too that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you go, no, wait, I am getting better with age. I know I am. You know, I'm becoming smarter with age and more realistic. It really... But you don't give up your hope. You don't give up your dreams. No. You know what I mean? You can have realistic, you know, you can look at the world in a realistic, uh, from a realistic vantage point, but don't ever give up your hopes. Don't ever give up your dreams. Because if you don't go for it, I guarantee you the answer is no. If you don't ask, the answer is always no. I just, I love, I could end the interview there because it's so powerful a statement. But I want to ask you about your interview with Robin Williams. Oh, <laughs> can we do that? Yes, yes, That'd we be can. So good. Yes, we can. Okay. I loved Robin Williams. People would say, who's your favorite person to interview? And Robin was always the first name out of my mouth. You know, and then I'd go on. Dolly was also. Robin Williams was so funny. And yet, he was serious in giving you answers. He knew what you needed to, to, to make a piece work, okay? Mm. So I would ask him a question, say about the movie. Oh, okay, classic example. He had just lost an Academy Award for Patch Adams, I think it was. Right. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, I said, Robin, you got to put me in your shoes, man. You're sitting there. They're announcing best actor. They've already called your name. Now you know you're in one of the five boxes where the camera's on you. And then they announce whoever won that year. And I said, what goes through your mind? And he said, well, at first you go, oh, very good. And you smile and clap. He goes, but inside your head, you're going. And then he goes, and then he wipes his lip and goes, sorry, Meryl. You know, and then he comes back and gives you, you know, an answer that you can edit together if you don't want the shtick. Right. You know? He was such a pro. He was such a pro. And he was so sweet. I mean, he was really a sweet guy. I mean, there are people who are known to be nice guys, and they are are nice people, men and women. And some of them are just very good, meaning they're good enough actors that they act well enough to to make you think they're enjoying themselves, but they're not. It's like question number one, question number two, they're waiting for question number 10 because you have to get out of there after 10. Yeah. Uh, 
So, what a ride, though. Yeah. What a ride. And what's funny, I one time I did an interview with him for uh, One Hour Photo. Remember, he played yes. the kind of crazy One weird. Hour Photo guy? And so I said, here's what we need to do. Back when they had disposable cameras, I said, let's get a disposable camera. And in the interview, we'll, we'll give it to Robin. And then let him take whatever pictures he wants to take. And we'll show him taking the pictures and saying whatever he says. Then we'll run to the. I'll send a an in, you know a PA to the, uh, the you know CBS. Get them developed in an hour, and we'll edit them together in the piece. And he was like just taking the craziest pictures, like selfies. He took a picture of his crotch. He was taking pictures of us, and and his whole rap. I don't know where he came up, where he comes up with this kind of just rapid fire joke. And oh, yeah. He just. But he did it endlessly. His he stuff did about it golf. Endlessly. His stuff dressed as the American flag. He, he, and the thing, you know, my acting teacher, Brian Reese, who's also been a guest on this podcast, but he speaks about commitment. So, you know, he will give us a script where we, I had to sing We've Got Tonight drunk. <laughs> And, and it's very easy to sit there and go, who needs tomorrow, let's make it last. But it's really hard to totally commit yeah. to it without, it's not meaning go over the top, but really allow yourself to be there or to be a monster. Like I'm not eight anymore. Mm -hmm. To be a tree, you know, to really commit. That was Robin Williams. Uh, and that I think, that's the secret of the greats. They, oh, that's not the emphysema. That's the, <laughs> that's Archie. That's Archie saying, "Let me in the room." Back off, little doggy. He's okay. Back off, darling. Uh, did I say back off to a little beautiful dog? But that hundred percent commitment. If I'm doing this now, that's what I'm doing. That's the thing. John Davis, I hope to hear a lot more of you, and I thank you so much for being a guest on Take Fountain. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Take Fountain with Ella James. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.